You're listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. My name is Joseph Miller. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm currently pursuing a degree in mechanical engineering. I was raised Catholic for my entire life and attended Catholic schools, but I didn't ever feel that pull to my faith that I thought I was supposed to feel. I always just went through the motions when it came to my faith and my religion. I didn't truly understand the importance of faith in my life, and I can't blame anyone for that except myself, because I didn't put in the time to truly understand the importance of faith. As I grew up and took religion classes in school, the Catholic faith that I the Catholic faith that I was taught by my teachers seemed overbearing and borderline oppressive, and it remained that way until junior year of high school, when one of my religion teachers told us to simply view faith as a relationship. It doesn't have to be this complex or overly complicated thing. After that. I began to re-explore my faith. I talked to one of my good friends for hours about everything I was thinking and wanted to know. I spent the next two years diving super deep into my faith and exploring it. And then COVID hit. COVID hit me hard as it did for a lot of other people. And for some reason, I let that pull me away from my faith. Last year, it was a lot of going through the motions again. Go to class, do homework, eat, sleep, and then repeat. It was hard to see a purpose in what I was doing. I always knew I needed Christ, but I always made up these excuses of, oh, I have too much, or maybe next week. And then one of my friends asked me if I wanted to join her at Oaks that weekend. I was hesitant at first, but eventually I did say yes. I went that day and enjoyed meeting all these amazing people and seeing the amazing atmosphere here. Afterwards, I remember talking to her about faith and her journey, and during that time, I began to felt the same sense of fulfillment and belonging that I felt a couple years ago when I was super deep in my faith. I was also able to talk to Britton and other people about my journey in faith, and just talking with someone about my journey helped me to see things more clearly. I also had to go back and do some self-reflection and take a step back to look at where God has worked throughout my life. After I was able to do both of those things, my choice was pretty simple. It was time for me to dive back into my faith once more and commit myself to it. Christ has allowed me to talk about my faith with my family and friends and reconnect with them all on a spiritual level as well. Christ has given my life purpose and meaning as well as the objectivity to see the people who have always been there for me that I may have not thanked properly. I'd like to thank Sydney Moore and Britton for taking the time to just talk with me and listen about my journey through faith and encouraging me to dive back into it. I'd also like to thank all my friends and family who have helped me along the way. I'm here today to let you know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's been, such a, it's been such a joy to get to know Joseph, hear his story, and uh, get to sit down with him and talk about the gospel. 
and um, see God work in his life. I know that sometimes <clears throat> our journeys to trust Christ as our Savior, those are, um, those are long journeys. And so if you're in one of those long journeys, and it's something that you've been thinking about and working on, um, figuring out where you stand, trying to, trying to figure out where to, when, when and how to plant your, your feet in the gospel, uh, I'm praying that God draws you a little bit closer to himself in these next few minutes together. So we want to be a church that we can, we can have those kind of conversations. Um, we're trying to be a church and we're trying to be a people that those of us who are believers who have trusted Christ, like we remember what it was like to not know him. Remember the questions that were on our hearts and then we can walk with just this grace and understanding with people who are trying to figure this out. And so if you're here this morning trying to figure it out, you're, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. And so this morning we're starting a, a new series I'm excited about um, <laughs> uh, where we're, we're looking at the life of Joseph heading into the Thanksgiving season. I already mentioned Thanksgiving, like this thankfulness this morning. Um, during our, our welcome time, but I, was, I, was, I woke up this morning thinking about it, and I, I looked over to Jessica, and I was like, I don't know what my deal is. I just always seem to have this, this thing where I will revert back, and I'll get so focused on all of the like, temporary little str- struggles and, and things like that that are going on in my life that I, I kind of I lose perspective on, on like, the goodness and the grandeur of what God is doing. I stopped thinking about and stopped, I stopped being able to live thankfully for the, the huge stuff that God is doing because I'm so bothered by a bunch of temporary, small, nonsense kind of stuff. But it's not even just temporary, small, nonsense kind of stuff. There's been seasons when I've, I've, I've really not had a lot of thankfulness in my heart in general because like, I, I've been overwhelmed by some of those huge things, those huge struggles that we walk through and those seasons of struggle and turmoil and darkness. Like it was... I've, I've been there. I think all of us have been there. And so when we come into the season like Thanksgiving, when like there's all these greeting cards and commercials and stuff telling you to like be thankful, I just never really buy it. That doesn't really, I don't know if it impacts you. It doesn't necessarily impact me. I don't, I don't, I, I can't just bow up one day and decide I'm going to be thankful. Like what I need is a readjustment about my perspective before myself and the Lord. That's what I needed this morning, so I've been praying through that for myself today and as I've walked through this time of preparation for, to do this with you guys. But like, that's where I want us to be for the next few weeks. I want us to have an opportunity to take a realistic look at the struggle and the turmoil and the, the difficulty of life and then figure out how it is that we're supposed to, like, supposed to be thankful to the Lord in seasons like that, in times like that, and the things that we go through, what does thankfulness actually look like? When, it, when it, we, you look around and you really can't tell what God is doing in or among you, like it doesn't seem obvious, like is he still at work, like those type questions. And so when I started praying through that, I, like, like, that's where we felt like we wanted to be. We wanted to be in the life of Joseph. It's one of a few people that we get to see the trajectory of their life, the entirety of their life. And we can look back with, with perspective and see the way that God was moving and active, even when it didn't seem like he was. We can look at some of the presuppositions and the starting points, the places where Joseph's life started, and see some of the struggles that were a part of his heart that manifested itself in ways that, that God had to step in and do something with. And so my prayer for us is that as we, this is going to be kind of a weird Thanksgiving season, honestly, <laughs> like the Thanksgiving series for us. It's not just going to tell you to be thankful. We're not just going to look at passages that have some quaint little phrases and just tell you to be happy and be thankful or something. Like we're going to look at a hard life in detail, like just dig into this guy's hard, like difficult life and the seasons that he went through, and then compare that to the stuff we walk through and see if we can find something true, something abiding that we can live our lives with a a sense of thankfulness for. All right, that's what we're going for the next few weeks as we head towards uh, Thanksgiving together. So this morning, 
as we jump into it, we're starting with the origin story. I always like uh, like the Avengers movies and stuff when there's like the or the backstory for the, the like that's that's kind of what we're doing this morning. And it's it's like a lot of origin stories. It's it's not a it's not a great one. All right, it, it's just not a very pretty story. It just begins a little bit messy, and as the Bible often does, it, it doesn't sugarcoat things. The Bible's not trying to paint some fictitious like pretty picture of 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 people's lives. It just lays out the brokenness, lays out the sin, and we're going to see some of these silent sins that are in Joseph's life and the life of his family and the way that set them up for just a lot of consequences, a lot of destruction. And so I hope this morning as we examine some of these, the hearts of some of these people, as we look at some of the brokenness inside of them, that the Spirit helps you examine some of those deeper areas of your heart as well. All right, so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 37. If you've got a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do. Um, I, I know it's always on the screen, and I know it's 30 feet wide, all right? But I, I, there's something significant about having a copy of God's Word in your hand. By the way, we have um, copies of the—we have Bibles that we have—well, actually, there's not any out right now. I don't know where they're at. But they'll be there in a few minutes because somebody's going to go get it magically. So on the way out, like, we have Bibles that—they're just for you, okay? So if you come in and you don't have a Bible, you forgot yours or whatever that day, you can borrow one for the day. But, like, you can keep those, like somebody shows up, like somebody goes to our church, ended up with like hundreds of them. So like you, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one, write your name in it, it's yours, Merry Christmas and whatnot, okay? That's, that's the way that's supposed to work. So this is chapter 37, beginning in verse one. It says this, it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob, all right? This, so Jacob's his dad. So Joseph, he was 17 years old and he was pasturing the flock with his brothers, and he was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zippah and their father's wives. And Joseph, Joseph brought this bad report of them, of the, of the brothers, to their father. And it says this in verse 3. It says, now Israel, that's, that's Jacob. Jacob's also called Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him this robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him. And just could not speak peacefully to him. When I, when I read those first few verses, like it's obvious like there's a lot going on that you don't know about yet. And we're going to try to unpack some of that and give you some context here. But like at the outset, I'm reading that. I'm like, man, this is a super dysfunctional family, right? Like this is like this, all, all that you know so far, this is an incredibly dysfunctional family where we've got a dad showing some incredible favoritism to one of the kids, and the kids, the, the rest of the boys literally like hate one of their brothers, and like there's just a lot going on. If you came in with a messy family, um, this one's worse, pretty sure. All right, we're going to get into some of that in a little bit. So let's take this apart. So Jacob, the dad, let's talk about the dad first, okay? Um, this guy, like, so Jacob is, he gets renamed Israel when he's wrestling with God. He has 12 sons. Joseph is the second to the youngest. So Joseph has 10 older brothers. If any of you came from a family with 12 siblings, like, I don't know how that works for you. That sounds awful just at the outset. I mean, and maybe it was great for, like, I, I got three kids. I was an only child, like, at my house. I'm like, why are there so many people at my house all the time? I was an only child. It was just, like, me there. It was beautiful. Anyway, so, like, it's just how all these kids, right? And so he's got these 12 sons. Joseph is, is the second to the youngest. And it literally says that Jacob loved this one kid more than all of the others. Now, this, this was interesting about this. Jacob's parents, Isaac and Rebekah, they did the exact same thing. They only had two kids. But, like, 
of those two, they were still exercising favoritism. The dad was, had, a, had his favorite. The mom had her favorite. And here he is. He, he saw the, his, that all just blew his life apart. And here he is doing the exact same thing. He's repeating the sins of his parents. He's got this favorite kid, and he's just making it plain as day. I wonder if he, like, said it, you know? I wonder how obvious he made this, like, how obvious this favoritism was to everybody else. I doubt he, like, openly talked about it, but he made it clear, right? He did this code of many colors thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that's what's interesting about me about Jacob. Jacob was a guy that I think probably had a lot of respect and had this great family. And there was this promise of God on them and whatever. But, like, there's something going on in, in, in Jacob's heart that's just ugly. Like, favoritism is one of those silent sins that doesn't obviously show up. You can look like you've got it all together and look like you've, you're all cleaned up or whatever. But there's this rottenness in, in, in the heart here. God's really clear about his, his views on, on favoritism and partiality. Like, that's Romans 2.11. It says, God shows no partiality. Like, this, this father is not reflecting the heart of the father. Like, your heavenly father shows no partiality. He's not more into the person next to you than, than you. Like, that's just not a part of his nature. He loves us. He loves his creation equally. Despite your sin, despite your brokenness, regardless of how far that you straight, he just loves you perfectly. This guy, this father, is not reflecting that. God doesn't show favor to some of his children over others, and that has huge implications for you. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning, that God is not, God is not done with you. He is not favoring the people that look like they've got it cleaned up over you. Despite what you've done, he's not done with you. He's not like this earthly father. He's a father that loves you perfectly. Maybe that's just all you needed to hear this morning. And second, though, like for us, like as followers of, of Christ, like as, as believers who are now following Jesus, like we're trying to live our lives like him, then we have to live this out. So James 2.1 says that we're to show no partiality. That's not a part of who we are. We don't get to value some people over other people. That's just not, not, it's not a part of the heart of God. It can't be a part of our heart either. So we show no partiality. God's created all people on earth this is with equal worth. So we don't get to, we don't, we can't treat people with more or less value based on things like their appearance or their gender or their ethnicity or social status or their like wealth or political persuasion. It's just sinful. Now we can disagree with some people on some things, but valuation is different. Favoritism is different. Christians are the people that are laying our lives down so that other people can draw near to the Lord. Like, there is no favoritism in us. That's one of these deep-seated sins in Jacob's heart, and it had consequences. That for all of us, there's these silent sin, I think, in a lot of our hearts, in a lot of, a lot of us. Like, like just, just a lot of us in the station of life that you're in, a lot of times you can look like you've got it all together, but deep down there's some things going on that God hasn't dealt with, that God hasn't gotten to speak into. And I think Jacob was a man of God. Like, he's, he's a huge figure in the, the life of just Israel existing, like the nation of Israel existing at all. He knew the Lord, but the Lord hadn't got to speak into that sin yet. Maybe that's the case for you as well. So this, this sin of Jacob's heart it had consequences. What it did was it drove a wedge between Joseph and his brothers. The sin of the father ended up driving a wedge between Joseph and, and all the brothers. So verse 4, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all the brothers... They hated him, and they, they couldn't speak peaceably to him. And that's what favoritism does, right? That's what favoritism does. It, just, it drives a wedge between 
one group and another, or you and someone else. There's, it's always going to function as a wedge. The exact same thing happens between these boys. It would happen across our culture. It will happen in our churches. It will happen in your friend groups. It will happen in your family if you do the exact same thing. There's broad application for this favoritism thing when you, talk, when you think about racism and classism and sexism. Just, there's a wedge there that's not supposed to be there. That's the sin of the heart. There's also really practical application just for each one of us in our day-to-day lives. Where I'm like, okay, maybe I, I'm, I, you know, that you don't obviously see that working out of you, but like, man, think about it. Like, there's 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 ways where, in big ways and even in small sneaky ways, that we're we're a lot like Jacob, where we have our people that we favor, we have our people that we. Um, we call first. We have our people that we would prefer to hang out with. There's, there's people that honestly are a little bit more work and a little bit more messy and a little bit more of a struggle that we just, eh. And so even sometimes just with our care and concern, our, our thoughts, sometimes even with our prayer life, like the people that are closest to us, the people that we are favoring are those that we're a whole lot more willing to engage with. And people that there's other people that we're just not. And that can be based off any type of thing, but it all comes down to this, this same issue of favoritism. There's a wedge there. And we're not going to camp out here too long because like, that's not the thrust of the passage, but clearly favoritism, it just doesn't reflect the heart of God. It can't be a part of his people. But this father's sin, this father's sin, it clearly contributes to the sin of his kid's heart, of Joseph's heart, which brings us to Joseph. Right? So you get to Joseph. He's this 17-year-old golden boy. Like he's he feels like he's got it all together. Like I, was any is anybody in here like really proud of who they were when they were seventeen? Like man, you know I really did have it figured out when I was seventeen. I was as smart as I thought I was when I was seventeen, right? Is anybody still following the plans they had for themselves when they were seventeen? I hope not. Like because the plan you had when you were seventeen was stupid. Like, like I've been working with teenagers. Like you're, they're all talking about it. Like. I remember when I was 17, like I had, I was, I did the most ridiculous stuff coming, moving back to Tuscaloosa. I grew up here. It's my hometown. Sometimes I'll be driving around and I'll trigger and I'll like being somewhere will remind me of something stupid and just like ridiculous I did when I was 17. And I'm just embarrassed all the time driving around. I was like, I can't believe I did that there. I can't believe I did that over there. Like this is, this is like the graveyard for all of Britain's secret sins. Okay, like that's just, that's what, where I'm at now. And so I've been, I've been around a few thousand teenagers for the last 10 years. Like I've, I've spent most of the thrust of my ministry hanging out with teenagers. I've known a lot of 17-year-olds and I think stupid peaks at 17. It's when it peaks. That's that you got something to look forward to if you're not 17 and if you're past it, congratulations, you survived, right? This, the chapter starts off with a 17-year-old boy, right? Tattling on his 10 older brothers, grown men. Run into daddy and telling him about what these 10 older brothers, these grown men, were doing that he decided was wrong. I, I just, I just, the kid's ridiculous. Like there's this, when you start reading the life of Joseph, there's this arrogance and this pride just dripping off this guy. And then you find out his dad's giving him his fancy little jacket, right? You know? And I just imagine this kid is wearing it around all the time. Like, I, I forgot to bring it up on stage, but. I brought my Letterman jacket from high school. It's really fancy. Um, when we go baptize Joseph, I'll, I'll sit it out there with you. You can put it on, take a picture. I don't know what you, I don't know what you want to do with it, but it's there. Like it's, I mean, it's like huge and bulky. Makes me look like I weigh like solid like 190. You know, I don't. You know, but I was a swimmer. They don't only really do that, so it has like a tiny little swimmer embroidered on the sea for Central. 
It's real special. It says 03 on the side of it. Like, I was really proud of that thing. And I mean, I, I remember a bunch of us, we had them. I don't know if you did Letterman jackets at your high school, but it was like basically a way to say, hey, I'm really good at something and you're not. You're welcome for my presence, you know? And then you like, you just wear the thing around and it's literally just like a billboard of pride. Like I am prideful. I'm going to enter the room with you now. You're welcome. You know, that kind of thing. And then you, then you go to college and you're like, I'm never wearing that again in my life. Right. It's just, it's a, you grow up a little bit, which is good. And so I just imagine this kid, he's got this coat on, he's got this special little jacket. I just imagine he just wore it everywhere, you know? And every time that his brothers see that there's this, this, mm, this disdain that, would well up inside them. Are you kidding me? I just wouldn't want to be in his presence. I just wouldn't want to be anywhere around him. You've met people like that that are just dripping with that pride and that arrogance, right? You don't want to be anywhere near them. That's this kid. It's pride of his, that's the sin of his heart. That's those sneaky sins. There's just pride and arrogance. I think a lot of us, the older we get, we figure out how to make our pride and our arrogance a little bit less obvious, but it still remains. Listen to what comes next in Joseph's life. Verse 5, it says, Now Joseph, he had a dream, which was not good. So all right, Joseph has this dream. And we told it to his, he, he goes and he tells it to his brothers, and it said they hated him even more. He said to them, this is what he said, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Check this out. Behold, we were all binding sheaves in the field. All right, so we we're binding up sheaves, and they would stand up tall. He said, Binding up sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose, and it stood upright. And behold, all y'all sheaves, they gathered around it, and they bowed down to my sheaf. What do you think that means? Yeah, his brothers said to him, really? You're, you're, you indeed, you're, you're going to reign over us? Not if you're dead, right? You're going you're gonna to reign over us? You're going to indeed rule over us? And so, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Those are separate things. There's the dreams, but there's also his words. And so the writer is leading us to believe that, that these dreams come from God. And they end up actually being true. Like it isn't his fault that he's had the dream. So they're mad about the dream, but they're also mad about the way he talked about the dream. They're mad about the words. They're mad about the delivery method of this, okay? That there is no humility. There's no kindness or gentleness. He didn't even have to tell them, Right? There's the dream side, but there's also the word side. The dream isn't the problem. It's what he did with it. God's clearly trying to prepare him for something. And really, like, getting him ready, even for a significant role in his family's future. He's going to play a role in, like, the future of the nation of Israel. Huge role. And God's preparing him for that. But God didn't tell him to go run and, and brag to his brothers. Listen, some of you are incredibly gifted people. Some of you aren't. I'm just kidding, right? You're all incredibly gifted people. You know, so you're all, you really are. Like, you're all incredibly gifted people with incredible um, resources at your disposal. You're just, you're, you're smart, you're sharp. Like, you're incredibly gifted people. Like, but what do we, what do we do with that? I mean, if you're, if like, if, if there are some things in you that you, yeah, you, they're, they're good and great things. Like, you're brilliant, you're talented, you're effective. A lot of you are leaders. You're just highly efficient and effective people. Some of you, 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 you students, you feel destined for like great things and you know that you have the skill set, you have the giftedness to be people of great impact. Some of you feel called by God to, to lead in the kingdom, that you're starting to sense and, and articulate and even step into like saying like, I think God's called me to live my life in the kingdom, whether to, it's to, you know, plant churches, be on, uh, live my life in ministry, you have to go serve as missionaries. Like I'm, I'm, I'm feel called to lead in the kingdom. 
Some of you want your life to count, just to have significance. And you're chasing huge levels of significance in, in the way that you think about your future. And you can see God's hand on your life making a lot of those things happen. You're seeing progress. You're seeing movement towards those things. You have the skill set. You have the ability. You have the resources. You have the background. You have the education. Some of you are like on that corporate ladder thing, and you can see the success that you're wanting. And you've, you've, you've climbed a lot of those rungs, and you are getting, you're arriving. What do we do with great giftedness and great blessing? Are you supposed to be like ashamed of those things and like hide those things and forsake those things? Like, or is there something, there's something better than that? See, Joseph, he, he takes like this dream that God has given. That was ultimately going to be a dream to bless a nation, right? But he takes this dream and he runs to tell somebody. He goes to run to flaunt it. He goes to like lay it out there before everybody and say, look how great I am. He didn't have to do that. That's the pride showing up. That's the silent sin of his heart showing up. Then watch, he does it again. Verse 9 says, then he goes and dreams another dream. And he already knows it's caused the problem, right? And then he goes and does it again. So he tells it to his brothers. He's like, hey, guess what? Dream another dream. You want to hear it? No, go away, right? It's like, hey, I have another dream. So listen, behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are just bowing down to me. Who says stuff like that out loud, you know? Like the sun and the moon and the stars. Like the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. Oh, it happens to be 11 brothers. Look at that. What do you think that means? You know, like he's just laying it out there, but he told it to his dad and to his brothers. His father rebukes him. Thank goodness. Probably should have happened a little bit earlier in his life. Like father rebuked him and said, what's this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But father kept the saying in his mind. And he already knew there was a problem. He already knew there was distance there. He already knew there was a problem with his, his relationship with his brothers that he was driving a wedge, right? Like he's doing this. But instead of humbly holding these things that God's given him together, he continues to flaunt them. At the prospect of being raised up above other peoples, being the leader among others, he responded with pride. Some of you are going to be raised up to be leaders. Some of you are leaders. What would we do with that? What would we do with God, like putting you in those kind of positions, giving you that level of giftedness, giving you those resources? What we do with that tells the, tells, the, tells the story of the condition of our heart. And as Joseph looked at what God had given him, he responded with a sinful perspective. It's just the pride welled up in him, and it was something for him to flaunt, something for him to be honored and revered for. It wasn't a skill set. It wasn't a tool. It wasn't something that God was giving him to, to, to lay his life down to serve other people. All of us are going to have to make those choices as well. I think one of the most challenging areas for many of us is just that of pride. It's one of those silent sins that we figure out how to hide. We figure out how to push down. We figure out how not to say some of those things because people get really frustrated with us when we articulate that pride. So we learn the behaviors, but the heart doesn't change. Jesus repeatedly has called us to this ridiculously countercultural posture of humility before all people, especially for those that... He, for those people, he's called to lead others. He's called leaders to be people of radical humility. Mark, Matthew 20, verse 25 and 28, Jesus said this. He says, Jesus called to him, them, his followers to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And they're great ones. They exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
Whoever would be first among you must be the slave. So even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's looking at the people who are going to be the, the apostles. They're the apostles. Like, they're the 12, like, except the one guy, right? But, like, the other ones, like, they're, they're the ones who are going to start this movement that is going to, like, change the world. They're going to be entrusted with the mission of God to go and make disciples of all nations. And they actually kicked that off. Like, your eternity is different because of these guys. And he's out here saying, listen, you are not going to live your life lording over other people. It's not going to happen. It's not the way this works Instead, you're going to live your life the same way I'm living mine, laying my life down for others. Not coming to be served, but to serve. That's a radically different perspective than than I was walking with when I was 17. It's still something I'm struggling with and working on, letting God speak into the pride in my own heart that still wells up sometimes. God reminding me over and over again that I am not important. Like I, I am not a beautiful little like I'm not, I'm not some special thing here. Like, like I am a servant of all. That's what I want to live my life. And I just get to get behind him and lay down that pride and just openly and honestly serve him. Paul tells us to do the same thing. Philippians 2, verse 3, tells the church to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let me just stop there. Like, think about the motivations of your heart right now. Think about the things that you're involved in, the ways you're spending your time and your energy and your money. It says do nothing from selfish ambition. It says, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Not equally as significant. That's one thing, right? It says more significant than yourself. Let each of you not, not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus taking the form of a servant, laying your life down, like, like abasing yourself so that somebody else can move towards the Lord, like, like an emptying of self. Like that's, that's the call. And when we, when we step back from that, when we, we walk in favoritism, we walk in like basically selfishness and say like me and my ambition, this is my primary. I'm gonna take care of me first. And then if I have some time left over, like fine, I'll start trying to do some stuff in the kingdom. I'll, I'll, start, I'll start doing a little bit more. I'm, but like I've gotta take care of me first. I've gotta to get to this level of security. I've gotta to get to this level of stability. I wanna have these goals of mindset and then I can slip over here and start doing something that the Lord might call me to do. That's not the way this works. Let's do nothing else, selfish ambition, but vain or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Joseph had this soul-level problem, this sin problem with pride, and really a superiority. It's one of those silent areas of sin that creeps up on us. And in the kingdom, it, it, the, the call of Christ is to lay our lives down. So let me ask you some really hard questions. They're, they're questions I've had to struggle with all week long looking at this. So first, like, if we're trying to figure out if, if, if pride is an issue of your heart, let me ask you this, like, do you struggle when you're not respected? Do you really struggle? Like, do you find like an like a irritation of anger rising up when you, when you feel disrespected? When somebody's late, when somebody doesn't reply to a text message, like when, when somebody slights you, do you feel like you're responding in an appropriate way? Not that it doesn't bother you, of course it's gonna bother you, right? But like, is there an anger about you not being respected? different than, man, they're really rude. That was hurtful. That's different. 
is it, is it an anger problem over the disrespect? Second, like, do you, do you recoil when somebody asks you to do something menial, something, something lowly? Like, do you, do you, like, that's not me. Like, surely that's somebody else's job, right? Like, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to, that's, we got people for that, right? The sorry people, you know, like, that's not me. Do you recoil when, when you're asked to do something meaningful? You're happy, to, you're happy to get to lead. You're happy to get to be up front. You're happy to get to do something exalted. But like when you think that stuff, that stuff's somebody else's job. The one who pulls trash, that's somebody else's job. The one who gets whatever's under the trash bag, you know that like leaky, sticky stuff? I don't know what it is, but it probably has a name, right? It's in the bottom of the trash can. Like that can stay there for 10 years because that's not on you, right? You don't know who it's on but it's definitely not your job, right? That. Third one, do you find yourself getting really angry when you're not thought of first, when you're not elevated, when you're not honored, when you're not appreciated, maybe when you're skipped over, when someone should have appreciated you, somebody should have honored you, but you, that probably been rightful for them to do so, but they, they forget or don't. Do you find yourself getting angry about that? Do you, do you think a lot about what you're owed and what you've earned? Is that you like think about that a lot? It's like a, a, a large part of your thought process. Like what, what I've earned for myself, what's owed to me? I deserve this. Even if it's not something you would verbally say, like, but it's just something deep in there, right? Like if that's some of those language, and that's, that's indicative. Like do you, do you expect the place of honor or do you run to the role of a servant? Do you look for and enjoy and expect that place of honor, wherever that is? Maybe the middle of that conversation, right? You step into the circle and you get to be listened to and people are laughing at your jokes. Or like, like I don't know what that place of honor is for you, but like, do you expect that? Like just intrinsically, I'm important. I'm supposed to matter here. Or are you rushing to take the roles of a servant? Listen, I think for every single one of us, a lot of those questions were not the way we would want to answer them. Like if you're going to be honest about a lot of those, you're not going to answer that honestly in ways that you wish you could. Pride's a big deal for a lot of us. It just is. And there's a point. We have to be honest about that and allow God in to do some, some heart work there. So Joseph had a heart issue. He had a heart issue of just pride. And I think a lot of us do as well. So the sins of the father and the sins of the son, they both had this impact on the rest of the family. Our sin, even the silent kind, always impacts other people, and so it has this impact on the rest of the family, the brothers. So real quick about the brothers. These, are, these, these, these other 11 guys, they're sons of four different women. See, I told you their family was a little bit messed up, right? And so there's sons of four different women. They're all brothers. They're kind of smashed in here together, and they're trying to figure this out. They have a father who openly favored one of them. They have a brother prancing around in his Leatherman jacket, telling everybody his stupid dreams. Like, this just, it's a mess. It is hard. And it gave birth to this, like, deep-seated sinfulness in those brothers' hearts. It gave birth to, like, this deep-seated, like, evil in, inside of them. Like, and evil and just darkness. They'd been jealous. They'd even hated him. They couldn't speak peaceably to him. But all this silent sin was about to come to the surface because it always comes to the surface. So the brothers, they go and they take their flocks uh, to greener pastures. And they get out and they go a long way. They go past where they said they were going to go in Genesis 37. They just kind of keep going. And then eventually some time passes and sweet little special Joseph, he got to stay home with daddy and didn't have to go. And so dad waits a little while and just kind of starts to get curious about what's going on. And so he sends sweet little Joseph to go give a report 
on the others. So he leaves home, he takes off, he's gonna go, as the 11th kid, right, he's gonna go examine what the older brothers are doing and come back and tell daddy. Any of you have all, uh, younger siblings? How did you feel when your little sibling came and gave a report about you and what you were doing? Do you appreciate that? No, right? Like, this, is, this, is not, this is not gonna go great. So like, how would you handle it if your little brother was sent to check up on you? You did not handle that well, okay? And they're, they're a long way off. He eventually, he finds them and they see him coming over the hill, right? He's got his special little favorite son, like jacket blowing in the wind and they can make out the silhouette from, you know, miles. Now, like, is that him? Seriously, like, I mean, just, I, I can imagine this chorus of frustration with the, the 10 older brothers. Just like, are you kidding me? What is, like, what does he want now? Like, how far do we have to go to get away from this kid? And then things start to get pretty intense. Verse 19 says, they, they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come, let's, let's just kill him. Like, let's be done, you know, like, that's a big shift at some point. But in their hearts, I don't think it was. I think this has been simmering for a while. Somebody finally just said it. Here comes this dreamer. Let's just kill him. Let's throw him in one of these pits. And then, then we'll say, we'll come up with a story. We gotta, we'll go ahead and plan the story out. Then we'll say a fierce animal that come and devoured him, and we'll, we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Maybe it started as a half joke. You know, sometimes some of those terrible plans that you were involved in, they started like somebody was half joking, and they're like, no, seriously, what if we did it? You know, that and then it kind of continues, and they're joking but not joking, and pretty sure it, pretty quickly it turns into a pretty serious plan. Somebody's like, yeah, 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 we could just, like, put some blood on his coat, and, like, no one ever know. And then somebody's like, you know, that would that'd probably work. And then pretty soon, like, people are thinking, and people are planning. And before he gets over to them, like, there's plans that have already been hatched. Reuben speaks up, one of the brothers. He says, no, 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 let's not kill him. I mean, come on, like, he's... It is a brother, right? So let's not kill him. But seriously, let's throw him in that pit. That pit thing was a good idea. Like, let's, let's stick him in there and see how he feels about it, okay? So, so Joseph shows up. They're all like, everybody be cool. Don't say anything, right? And Joseph gets over there to the camp, and he's like prancing around. got the jacket on. And they literally, they, they fall on their brother. They grab him. They rough him up a little bit. They take his robe, and they drop him in a pit. That's how that day's going. And then, then, it, then it literally says that they, they go and they just sit down to eat. There's a callousness there. They're like, God, we got that whole brother situation handled. You guys hungry? Let's, uh, let's go eat. There's not any heartbreak about this. There's no remorse about this. Like that sin inside their heart that was impacted from their father and their brother, like it's taken some root and there is no remorse about this. It just so happens that at the, the right time, the, the caravan of slave traders comes by. And again, a plan is hatched. And then they think to themselves, like, hey, we can, we can actually get rid of this guy but not actually have to kill him. We can be done with him, but his blood won't be in our hands. And in a moment of sinful revenge, they do it. They sell their brother for 20 pieces of silver. And he's gone. He's gone. They literally, like, like, from their concept, like they ended that life. They rip up the coat, dip it in some goat's blood, take it back to their dad and let their father believe that he's been killed. And the chapter ends with a dramatically different tone than it began. 
Verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites, they'd sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. It starts with this arrogant teenager in his beautiful coat telling his dreams of grandeur to his brothers. And he ends up being sold as a slave, transported to a foreign country, and sold again into permanent bondage that would be in place for the rest of his life. The father's favoritism, Joseph's pride, all the brothers' hatred, all of this has consequences. And just a few days before, Joseph thought he had it all figured out. Joseph thought everything was fine. He thought he was good, like he had all this sorted. He was going to be he was going to be ruler of everybody. In just a few days time, everything changed. Life was ripped from him. His plan for himself, everything he thought was going to happen was taken away from him because of some of these silent sins of the heart. A lot of you are gifted and talented people with ladders to climb and things to achieve. You've got what it takes. God has gifted you with some incredible stuff. But this morning, this passage reminds me, this passage reminds me of where you and I actually stand before God, the actual condition of my heart. Even if everything looks like it's going well, even if the trajectory of my life and your life looks like we've got it all together, we've got it all figured out, we're going to be successful, you know, solid people. We're going to get some stuff done. I'm reminded of the actual condition of my heart and of yours. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this. It says, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He's saying that all of us have these these sins of the heart. All of us are broken people. All of us are people that are in need of a Savior, that no matter how polished everything looks, no matter how much you think of yourself, no matter how gifted you are, like all of us are people that are in need of a Savior because the condition of our heart is bleak. The condition of our heart is sinful. And as we stand before a holy God, it doesn't matter how efficient and effective we are. It doesn't matter how many good things we're good at. It matters the condition of our soul, and our soul is broken. It needs to be put back together. We need to be rescued by Jesus, not perform for a world. Thankfully, the story of Joseph doesn't end right there. Thankfully, my story didn't end in my origin story with me at 17 thinking I had it all figured out too. Thankfully, the guy was still at work in and above and through even my own brokenness and my own sinfulness and is for you as well. Thankfully, God did an incredibly gracious thing for me and for you. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it says, All like sheep have gone astray. That's me, that's you, that's every single one of us. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. I'm reminded this morning, the thing that I'm thankful for this morning, remembering my origin story, and I don't don't necessarily know yours, but I'm pretty sure it was sort of similar, okay? Like, I'm I'm reminded I'm thankful this morning that my origin story was not the end of the story. That God didn't look at my pridefulness, he didn't look at my sin, he didn't look at my brokenness and say, enough's enough, I'm out. But instead he sent Jesus and laid on all of the iniquity of my life on Jesus on that cross, paid for all of it for me. Before I could even ask, before I was even born, like he's done this work for me because he knew that I would need a savior. Your starting point, if you're a Christian in the room, your starting point was one of wrath, of separation from God. And so I just wanted us to be reminded of the gospel, that God didn't abandon us to our sin, to our brokenness, but laid his life down pay for your iniquity. But I also want to say to everybody in the room who's not a Christian yet, like if, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, then 
you haven't been saved from your sin. That's what he, why we call him the Savior. He's the one who saves us. When we put our trust and faith in him, our iniquities, like, like his righteousness is, is counted as ours. God doesn't see our sin and brokenness anymore. He just counts Jesus' righteousness to me. And so if you haven't trusted Christ yet, then you haven't accepted that gift. And so in a, in a real sense, you are still living your origin story. You're still living with that brokenness. You're still living with that sin. And the consequence for all that sin is still yours to hold. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would get to the point that I came to where I realized that I was such a mess, despite how everything looked on the outside, that I was such a mess that I needed a savior. I needed God to do a work about the sin of my heart. Not just the outside stuff that I could clean up. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to try to fix your pride problem. It's not going to work. You're never going to get past it. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven. You need to be rescued. And those of us in the room, we come to this place every week, and we sing these songs of praise to the Lord. We worship him because he did that in us. He took away our sin. He saved us. We're incredibly grateful for for eternity, for what he's done. And he'll do that same work in you this morning. So as our band comes, Christians in the room, I just wanted us to have a reminder of the magnitude of what he saved us from. And that draw us to like a true and legitimate place of thankfulness before the Lord. And so just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to pray and just pray a prayer of thankfulness for what he's done for you. If you're not a Christian in the room yet, the invitation for you is just straight up clear. Trust Christ. You're not going to be able to get this done. You're not going to be able to fix these problems on your own. Trust in Christ. Trust him as your Savior. You need to be raised. Let him do that work in your heart. Let him make you new. And so as the band prepares to lead us, I just wanted you to get to have us have a time just to pray. To be honest about God, about that origin story. Maybe about the condition of your heart right now, right where you sit. And if you're a Christian, I just wanted you to get to thank him for what he's done for you. I don't know the last time you got to just thank him for the cross. So as you're, if you're a Christian, I just want you to begin to pray, just on your own, thanking him for what he's done for a sinner like you. If you're not a Christian, my, my prayer for you is that you would, you would hold these questions um, as significant enough to you, for you to consider. Like, are you really going to try to do this on your own? As if you, if you felt the Lord drawing you to himself. Do you want a savior? Do you want to be set free? Do you want to be forgiven? And what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Why not right now? Our prayer team's gonna be in the back. They're gonna be back there along that curtain on the left side. I'm gonna be over here in the front. We'd love to talk with you about what that means, what it looks like to trust Christ as your savior, to find that hope and that forgiveness, that salvation that your soul's been longing for your whole life. So as our band leads in just a minute, what I want you to do if you need to talk with somebody, as, that, as our band leads, I want you to stand up and make your way to go find who you need to talk to. So you pray, you think, and then our band will lead us.